0: the toffee blues your source for all things everton and welcome to another podcast where we got loads to get through the first segment is going to actually involve thomas teddy and the escram everton business matters they're going to be discussing the everton agm which took place virtually earlier on in the week following that it will be myself along with paul mcallister and also david from the county road Bobblers, and um we're going to be, of course, previewing the Sheffield Wednesday game in the FA Cup, uh, which is coming on Sunday. And then we'll be finishing with a classic quiz where Davids will take on Paul in a matchday squad quiz. Um, but first of all, we'll go straight into the hand over to Thomas for the AGM breakdown.
1: My name is Thomas. I hope you're all, you're all, all well. Uh, we're back with another video on the channel today. We're going to be talking about the annual general meeting that occurred a few days ago now. Joined by, uh, of course, our own Terry McAllister and a very special guest as well. You've, you've almost definitely heard about him uh, on Everton Twitter. The S Score. Well, we won't be calling him that during the video. We will be calling him Paul. So, Paul, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today?
2: Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on. Ter- Terry, how are you as well? I feel like I've just skipped, skipped straight past <laughs> you uh,
2: Good morning, good afternoon, or
3: good evening, depending on where you are. <laughs> um, nod to Paul's
1: uh, talking the Blues podcast there with uh, the Brothers Costigan. Um, yeah, I'm good. Brilliant. So we will make a start then. Just kind of, Paul, I'll just come to you first. Talk about your, your general thoughts about the, the meeting. Of course, um, if you haven't all checked out Paul's article already, Uh, We'll we'll definitely link it in the description. Do check it out. It seems that you were slightly underwhelmed at maybe the substance of of the meeting in general.
2: I I think to be fair to the club, first of all, it's it's difficult because Mm. clearly everything was pre-recorded. It wasn't really a meeting in that sense. I mean, it was a piece of propaganda by the club at the end of the day. They said what they wanted to say and they presented themselves in the manner in which they think is um, the best manner which is clearly what anybody would do in, in, in the same circumstances. So as a, as a piece of, a, of objective reporting about what the club has done, um, apart from perhaps the figures, because there's not much you can do with the figures, the figures are what the figures are. <clears throat> I didn't think it was that, you know either that's objective, nor did I really think, to be honest, given the amount of time that they had to prepare it, that it was the best representation uh, of what the club's about and what the club does.
1: Yeah, Terry. What were your general, just initial thoughts about what what emerged from the meeting and how it was presented in general? Well, I think Paul's got it in
3: one. It, it was propaganda, really, wasn't it? I think they've they've looked and thought. There's not a lot of good news we can give. It's not all bad news, obviously, but they've looked at the different compartmentalised segments of it. Where you know, obviously, Denise, Marcel Brands, um, Sasha Raisancev, and Bill. And every single part of their, you know, their aspect of the presentation, they just sort of clawed at what can we, what can we talk about? There's no good news on the stadium, not really their fault, um, entirely their fault because it's still planning permission. Um, the squad size isn't down to what Marcel wanted to be, which he outlined last year. Financial um, side of things, you know, it's pretty much the same, isn't it? A record-breaking commercial deal, but while uh, Wages to turnover over um, and wages to turnover over is still grim frankly, and then obviously there was a little bit at the end with uh, Bill Kenwright where he's asked about the quality of the board, which was just harkening i mean talking back to the old days of Bill Kenright when you know he get you know it was like something that one of Donald Trump's press secretaries would say this was the biggest um, inauguration ever you know that kind of thing like yeah we've got the best boards ever we, we it's revered across you know the Premier League and and what have you? So it was. It it was just trying to put a positive spin on anything. Like I think at one point they said there's going to be more Evertonians at the club because they might have just thought, oh, well, people seem to like Leighton Baines. Let's say we're going to do more of that. People will be happy about that. And woefully have misread the mood of supporters. I think they're very lucky that the team's doing well.
1: To be bluntly honest. Yeah, it was a it was a slightly disappointing presentation in general. It didn't. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, as Paul mentioned, it wasn't really like an objective presentation of any information by any means. Uh, and, and as Terry said, there just maybe maybe something more of a propaganda. I mean, I can see why they've tried to do it that way. Uh, it has been a fairly bleak year, but you, you think maybe it, it would reflect the success they've had on the pitch that they would maybe you know take that into their stride with with the general meeting, which which they didn't really at all. But I, I wasn't too surprised at, at, at the way they kind of presented the information purely because of, I mean. From a financial perspective, I'm not going to go too much into it. That's definitely what I'm going to come uh, to to you two next because I'm I'm, I'm not too uh, knowledgeable on on that matter. And th- there's only so many positive spins you can put on that, or you can only present the positive information uh, in general. So, Paul, for for a man like myself who really doesn't know much about finance in, in terms of football clubs at all, I mean, I mean, I can look at sponsorship, sponsorship stuff like that. But how are things looking? Is it was it surprising? Was it what you expected to see in general?
2: Um, just before I answer that, just to go back to the you know the, the points that the three of us just made, I think uh, I think most Evertonians like would like to be treated as ad, as adults, mm. and you know we know it's a t- we know it's a really tough time. It's a tough time for for almost everybody, you know, in terms of how we're trying to run our lives um, emotionally for some people because of the circumstances that they're in. But you know, from a commercial point of view, we all understand it's it's difficult, and we all we we can all see. Goodison Park has been empty since since March. We all know that extremely, you know, extremely well. So just just do it like yeah, as it is. You don't have to spin it for us. we're, we're not we're not shareholders in the sense of um, like being shareholders of Marks and Spencers or Sainsburys or you know whatever. If if I don't like Marks and if I'm a Marks and Spencers shareholder and I don't like Marks and Spencers, I can just sell the shares. Um, or if I don't like what the CEO is saying, I can just sell the shares. It's, it's I don't have an emotional attachment to that. But I do have an emotional attachment to Everton. And it, they're going to have to say something really pretty bad in the meeting for me to want to sell my Everton shares. And probably everyone, almost everyone of, of the 1,400 shareholders would hold hold the same view. And it's, it's that lack of um, recognition of who they're talking to that sort of really sort of worries me that they just don't, they don't get that we're, we're actually there to support them because we all want a better football club. Um, and it, you just, just be honest with us. That's, that's, that's all I'm asking for. So anyway, sorry, that, 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 a little bit over in, in terms of the finances, um, obviously very difficult for a number of reasons. Difficult because we lost revenue that we thought we were going to get. So the, the revenue, um, from not playing games in front of of fans um, at Goodison. Some uh, of the broadcasting revenue we didn't get uh, for two different reasons. One, because there's a rebate that has to be paid back because the season didn't finish on time. And secondly, because the season didn't finish on time, some of the games fell out of the financial year. So the financial year end was the end of June and therefore the revenue that was attached to the games that were played after the 30th of June couldn't be included in this year's accounts. So you see the the revenue fall by quite a bit, and I think Sasha said around 30-odd million, the revenue fell by because of um, the season going over the end of the financial year. But on the flip side, there was £30 million of revenue from USN in terms of uh, the Bramley Moore Stadium, that's a complete one-off it won't be repeated and it wasn't expected so revenue was about flat the problem the club has is that um, frankly we just spend too much money for the amount of money that we we earn we're, we're, we're like a like a family or an individual that just has a budget bigger than, than their monthly income and when that happens you know what happens you, you start using credit cards you start using overdrafts Until such a point as you you can't use them anymore. And that's the the thing that we have to address, really getting our costs down, which means getting rid of players that aren't productive uh, where we can. But again, I understand the difficulties in doing that because, you know, as nice a guy as he is, if you're Balassi and you're on a contract that you're not going to get anywhere else, why on earth would would you move? I mean, you know, he has a responsibility. You could argue you might have a responsibility to the club, but ultimately has a greater responsibility to himself. So, so, so why, why would he move? But nevertheless, you know, wages are too high and the amortization costs that we carry are too high for the amount of revenue that we, we have. The other question then is, well, how can we increase revenue? And um, we can increase revenue realistically two different ways. One, by being better... Uh, in terms of our commercial activities, so having more partners and getting those partners to spend more money with us, um, or by generating uh, money from selling players. They're, they're effectively the two options that are open to us. machinery writing a cheque for £50 million pound a year um, stops the bank manager from getting worried, but it doesn't do anything about our prop- uh, profitability. And that's, you know, um, I think he's coming to that realization that he can't continue to write fifty million pound checks every year for two reasons. One, probably he doesn't want to do that, and secondly, from a, um, an FFP point of view uh, and Premier League uh, regulatory point, point of view, it was interesting. Sasha said that we um, we met the Premier League regulations in terms of how much our losses have been over the last three years. And looking at the figures, I can see. How, how we got to that point um, Had we been in Europe I don't think there's any way That we could have got through FFP Because FFP is much much more stringent Than uh, the Premier League regulations um, And I think if we do qualify for Europe At the end of this season uh, It's going to be an issue for us Now he did say again He, he uh, said that they're in regular con- uh, conversations With UEFA And UEFA understand where we're at um, and that's good and it's sensible to do that. But ultimately, if we're only allowed to, use, to lose 30 million euros over a three year period and we've lost something like 250 million pounds over that period, then obviously there's a big difference between the two and it can't just be explained away.
1: Yeah, it certainly feels like we've had, I mean, especially in the machinery as well, a few years of this. I mean, we are still just making loss. We're, we're spending too much, in theory, and we are just being bankrolled by machinery. And, of course, again, as we mentioned before, it is a, it is a tricky financial year, but it, it seems the same, you know, year on year that we are. I mean, we're, we're cutting down the squad size, but, I mean, we're not paying, well, Sandro Ramirez anymore, players like that. I mean, I, I don't know if, what, what he was getting paid at the club during his time, but stuff like that is it seems to be the same message that we're getting every year, no matter how much they'd like to sugarcoat it this year. Or, you know, for example, because um, I i haven't watched the well the past few years anyway, apart from, you know, obviously when Marcel Brands came up with his presentation about needing a right winger and a centre-half and everything. But it, it does seem like even as much as they'd like to sugarcoat it this year, we're still in the same situation as we have been for a few years. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Terry. Yeah, I mean, I just ask Paul the the um, financial
3: fair play aspect, the European obviously model. Um, I've always wondered if because it's a, a rolling three year sort of period that they look at. Mm-hmm. Next summer, the Kuhn Walsh sort of season, you know, summer of of um, you know of mistakes, basically. That would come off the the rolling three year period now I'm, I'm not imagining that, that would have the impact of bringing it down to thirty million euros losses but will that you could you imagine that they're sort of waiting on that white horse to arrive and oh, suddenly we'll look a lot better because we'll have the drag factor of that somewhere won't be it won't be, uh, it won't be con- taken into the account when they look at our finances if we qualify for Europe is there any chance of that or
2: uh, to, to an extent, yes. Um, but you, uh, the problem we've got is that our performance has got our financial performance has got worse year by year. So, um, dropping a year off, which was you know not great, but actually was better than the year that you're now bringing in, actually makes your net position worse. So, because
3: you we were in Europe that year, I imagine. Um, and
2: yeah, you... yeah. Um So our, our financial performance in seventeen eighteen is better was better, always going to be better than our performance in 2021. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, I, I suspect what happens is that we, we get some sort of penalty from, from UEFA. We're not, it's not going, I don't think it's going to be a position where UEFA say, sorry, we're not going to give you a license to um, play either in the Champions League or to, in the Europa League, depending on which one we qualify for. I think we just take we either take a fine, or we take a restriction on um, squad numbers in European games, or even possibly we might have to take a you know um, some form of transfer restrictions. Um, but I, I just think they're taking the view that you know we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, um, that's sort of similar to what happened to AC Milan. Although they, they took a big gamble after that, they got a warning and. Only really got a ban after the.
2: Yeah, after they chose to ignore it, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, after yeah, they carried on, regardless. But we're not at that stage. So, you, you know, there's a possibility we we're telling them now so to say, yeah, you're going to have to slap our wrist if we get there, but, you know, we're going to be good boys from now
2: on. Yeah, I think the, I think the issue possibly is not so much uh, UEFA's um, attitude towards us, it's possibly the attitude of, of other clubs. So, other clubs that maybe have been compliant and, and you've know, done sensible things and kept within the regulations or kept much closer to the regulations than we have, I think legitimately have an argument to say, well, hang on a minute, you know, just a like, bit like what uh, clubs have been saying in the championship, you know, with Derby County and, and Sheffield Wednesday, for example um, you know, it's one thing to break the rules, but if you're going to break the rules to take advantage of me I, I'm going to complain about the fact that you've, uh, you've, you've done that and I just wonder about you know how how many clubs will uh, raise objections, and clubs with far more influence in Europe than we have will raise objections if, as and when we qualify for Europe.
1: Mm. Yeah, the, the, there's other things to go into from the meeting, like like the stadium. I, I don't want to go into the stadium too much because I mean it doesn't seem like there's a lot of news, and that's all planned permission rather than finances. But something I do want to ask you, Paul. Obviously, as you mentioned, we need to improve our revenue that, that, that's basically just the bottom line of it uh we can't just keep getting bankrolled by Mashiri. and it, it seems very simple but obviously the the, the transfers of players like James Rodriguez there seems to be an, a, a big shift in the kind of international strategy and whether that's South America we saw things in Miami uh it, it will I mean kind of looking ahead to next year's uh AGM will do you think that'll have a significant effect will it have a smaller effect than maybe some are hoping for
2: um it's difficult to see how it's going to have a significant effect financially, I'm, I'm afraid to say because um, whilst we generated a lot of interest and I think you know our number of social media followers have increased and we've signed a you know, uh, a deal with a betting company in in Colombia, th- there's no real mechanisms to generate cash from 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 those activities. So you know I don't know what the betting company in Colombia will be paying. A million, a couple of million pound a year, perhaps I think something, something of that of that size, which is obviously very welcome. But it's not earth shattering. It's not going to change much in terms of the overall finances of the club. Um, you know, the the deal that we have with Fanatics is uh, makes it difficult for us to expand uh, naturally. We have what well, well, the manner in which we expand commercially has to fit in with Fanatics' strategy as much as it does with us. Um, and you know, if they haven't got a big presence in Colombia, or if they want to put their resources elsewhere, if they want to put their resources, I don't know, um, to, into Miami, for example, you know, just 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 as a case, we're always competing with other clubs because we outsource. Um, so it's difficult to see it immediately how we generate more cash from from those activities. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be doing it, and that we shouldn't be looking to expand the range of commercial um, partners that we have. Clearly, we need to do that. But it is, it, it's is—it's a bit of a slow burn. It's not going to sort of massively change things. Mm. The thing that changes everything is qualification for uh, the Champions League. If we if we do manage just to stay in the, or get into the top four and stay there for the end of the season, not only do we generate a lot of cash from the Champions League, you know, 40, 50, 60 million um, pound, because we would be a guaranteed qualification for the group stage. Um, it does make us much more attractive than to other commercial partners. So perhaps that, you know, perhaps the big strategy should be, let's focus the resources on the pitch and see if we can get in the Champions League, but also in preparation for that, the people that run the commercial department, Sasha Ryze and Steph and others, you know, Beating hell out of the phones, talking to every organization they can think of to say, if we do get Champions League qualification, we're going to be knocking on your door for a sponsorship arrangement. Not mm. leaving it till the point where we've got the qualification. Let's, let's, mm. let's be doing that work now.
3: Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up um, sponsorship, that's something they completely left out of the the AGM was this, you know, phantom sleeve sponsor, which still hasn't been filled. It's obviously a minor issue, but I'm sure they put out in December that they were talking to a organisation and they were, you know, progressing well with them and it's completely gone quiet. So I know, I know a lot of that's to do with, you know, the depressed, you know, market with, you know, COVID-19 and whatever you brought it, That seems to have gone completely quiet as well. Like maybe they're, they're I don't know, hanging the latch. I don't know. Waiting for the right offer. Um, that we've still got, not got a sleeve sponsor and it's just the sort of, you know, it's another way of making money which has gone, gone away and not been replaced. Yeah, they, I mean,
2: they indicated to me uh, a little bit before Christmas that, that they've got interested, or they've got people that are interested in, and people that would do a deal today, um, but not at a price the club wants. Mm. So the club are, are taking the view that we'd rather forego the income and get a better deal Either if the economic situation improves because we're moving towards the end of the pandemic or if, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, if we do happen to qualify for Champions League, then obviously that becomes a bit of a game changer in terms of how attractive the shirt sleeve is to potential sponsors. Mm.
3: Well, just on that then, when you say about the, the massive impact that Champions League would have, it's obviously quite a popular... Um sentiment amongst a amongst lot of supporters especially on um social media, that we should be doing everything we can in this transfer window to sort of make a uh, you know take our chance to get in the top four now i've heard you know you described on one on your other podcast i 'm not sure which one I think it might have been business matters that the club has already been behaving like a championship club, you sort of throwing everything on on black trying to get in, you know to get into the Premier League, where in our case it's the Champions League. Do you think there's any way that the well, do you think that the club would be served now to try and do that once more with the best opportunity they've got? Or do you think moving away from that sort of behaviour is the best long term strategy because if it doesn't happen, you're back in, you know you're back in the same boat. Can they even are they even able to do that with the finances the way they are?
2: I, I think I think there's a big question mark over our ability to do it, even if we wanted to do it. Um, you know, they talked. Uh, Sacha Razan said talked about cash flow. Um, what he didn't say, I mean, they talked about you know the net debt position. I think they said it was like just less than three million pound, which which sounds great. Um, but there's the in June there's 58 million pound of debt to Rights and Media Funding and to Metro Bank, um, which really didn't get a mention, and also we didn't pay our tax bill last year, which is perfectly legitimate. And, you know, the, the government said as part of their strategy to help businesses, if you've got an outstanding um, tax bill, don't worry about it. It's not the thing that you need to worry about at this moment in time if cash flow is an issue for the business. So we've got big calls on cash. We've got another um, £11 million to spend on the stadium. Uh regardless of whether we get planning permission or not. So there's all all of these costs that are still coming out of the business, uh, even though the revenues are, you know, uh, well, the revenues this year are going to be 30 million pounds less than they were last year, because we don't have that 30 million that came from USM or at least we don't yet have anything to, to compare with that. So genuinely, I think it's, I think it's really difficult for the club to, even if they wanted to, to spend a lot of money, in this transfer window, even if, quite rightly, you, you, we could you could argue, if we're close to Champions League, then we should we, you know it'd be, it's so, soft to stop now, um, stop rolling the dice now. But frankly, I don't think we can. The other point is that if if the stadium is very close, and if um, planning permission is you know close in the next couple of months, we've got to address. Um, the lenders to the stadium before before the end of the financial year, and they will already be very concerned about the underlying strength of the business. There's, there's a business case for building the stadium, and we know it will generate enough cash to meet the financing costs. That's, that's fairly well established. But if the underlying business is still losing lots of money, the lenders will be concerned about that. So that's, I think that's another factor uh, which wasn't mentioned in, in the in the in the meeting, that would suggest that we're not going to do any business at all.
3: Yeah. So the the ideal scenario would be finishing the Champions League with the players you've got and or sell a player for massive profit,
2: basically. Yeah, the get out of jail card is is selling Richarlison. You know,
4: mm. um,
2: not that that makes any sense from a footballing point of view. Um, but from a financial point of view, it would do if if we didn't qualify for the Champions League, um, and there was still you know, that the, these financial pressures on the club, then then that's an option. I don't think it's an option anybody would want. Want obviously no fan would want it, and I suspect the club doesn't want it. But who 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 knows? Who knows what 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 deal we've got with, with, with Charleston? I know that there was they had talks in the summer. Um, and it was very clear that we were going to get push for Europe this year, which is clearly something that, that excuse me, that Rich Allison wants. But I don't know. Yeah.
1: Mm. So. And then, sorry, go on, Terry. No, no, that was it. Yeah, it's just just to kind of um, round off as well because there's more we can go into about the AGM, but I would encourage you all uh, to go and read Paul's. Um, article or listen to his uh, business matters podcast uh, which he does which he does with a few others because uh, they go into a lot more detail about about the different aspects and i, I would encourage you all to listen to it but the, the the kind of underlying thing here when we talk about finances and what a lot of people want to know about is transfers of course when we came into the summer window things looked bleak the, the club managed i mean there was, there was different things that I, I i don't know the intricacies of whether it was the the extension of deadline stuff like that we did manage to pull off one of the best transfer windows we've had in years, quite frankly, in some of the most difficult circumstances. And Mossad Brands mentioned that. It was one of the the weirdest windows I think he referred to it as. And that that looked like a bit of a a a rabbit out the heart. No one really saw it coming. This time, I mean, it does really seem like we are going to do nothing in January. Is is that right, Paul?
2: I I think so. I think, to be fair to the club, and sorry, I know this sounds like always coming across negative about the club, trying very hard not to. Um. I think the club did really good business in the summer. You know, I think um, both in terms of the prices that they paid for the players, but um, you know the players that, that they brought in, and clearly the Angelotti effect is is, is a big part of that. Um, although you know, Brands did say that we want we'd want wanted Ducori for three years. It's interesting that if we did want him for three years. Why we hadn't been able to get him in earlier? Um, again, that question. Uh, wasn't answered but you know certainly getting hammers in on, on a free is fantastic business um, and the people I, sp- I don't I don't speak to many people on the football side uh, but the people I speak to on the football side that aren't at Everton Football Club but there are other clubs um, think that Alan is going to be one of the best buys that we've made in many years yeah. It was a
1: brilliant so, window point. so yeah Go on Terry
2: Yeah
3: no, I just completely agree with that. It especially looks better in comparison to some, you know, other windows. It was a window where every move, you know, was a good one, and and I think just the club as a whole, things look better when you've got a good manager in place. It's something we haven't had, you know, the or the right manager in place. We haven't had the right manager in place since probably the first season of Roberto Martinez, or even if you want to be harsher, um, back to David Moyes. Because now he, Ancelotti's made other business prior to his arrival look better. Suddenly, Alex Awobi doesn't look like a bad buy anymore, and Michael Keane's seen as the probably the number one defender at the club. And you know there's question marks about him beforehand. So, if we can stay in that vein, we you know can sort the you know keep some stability on the football side of things and start to make more of what we've got. Then, obviously that'll help on the financial side as well because we'll be able to. You know, we we'll have to keep buying and buying and buying. So we, we've been buying to replace players we bought two years ago. And yeah, exactly. So, so we can stop doing that
1: and just buy to add, not buy to replace. That'll,
3: you know, that'll help everything.
1: It, it seemed like a window where there was there was absolutely no room, no room for error, and it, it doesn't look like they seem to make any mistakes yet. I mean, you know, Touchwood hope all the transfers carry on in the in the vein of form that they have had. Even Godfrey at the time. I mean, when when he came in, I, I didn't know a lot about him. It, it did seem like it quite a bit of money but I mean another brilliant acquisition it seems like if there if there was ever somewhere where Marcel Brands had to get every deal absolutely right it was this one and he and he seems to have done so and then just just kind of the final point in the video here um I mean how do we feel about doing no business in January um, I'll come to you first Harry do you do you feel like we've got a competitive competitive enough squad uh, to to go on with the rest of the season and, and push for Europe hopefully yeah I, I don't think there's a compelling case to do much business
3: this January, even if all the financial side of things were rosy, because you know the it is a buyer's market. But who could you point to out there who who'd be released by their club and could make a massive difference here? I think it's um we're onto a hiding for not. And if we go and try and buy in this window, and, and I don't think even normal Januarys have been very good historically for the club. So I think the view the manager takes as well is I'm going to get Alan and Hames and Dean back in the team after. Sp- you know, coming through the whole of December without them. And that, that you know, I hate the phrase and so everyone else does, but they'll be like new sign going into one game a week again for the rest of the season. It might not take a new player. It might just take, you know, sticking with that consistency and that, you know, getting that team back together from the start of the season.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you agree with that, Paul. Are you quite happy with the, well, the, the general strength of the squad to hopefully end up qualifying at the end of the season for European
2: football? I'm happy with the first, you know, the first 11 I think, and I think most people would, would agree with that that when we've got all of our players fit we've got a, you know, a fairly strong first 11 certainly a first 11 that compete at the top end, end of the league I think um, two things I'd like to say about well actually three things I'd like to say about Angelotti first of all Terry your point about him improving previous signings is a, is a really valid point and, and, and I agree with that t- totally um, I think the difference in in Iwobi has just been uh, you know, amazing. Everybody's always thought there's a player there, uh, but nobody really knew how to get that player out on the pitch, and and he and he's, he's done that. Um, Embarrassingly, I've just forgotten the last two points. <laughs> 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 so yeah, does it um So there's the three things about Iwobi uh, about Angelotti is he's, he's improved uh, past players. I think his man management skills. Are fantastic, uh, and that's you know, that helps bring players in when, when we're in a position to bring players in. And I think the, the final point, and I don't think he gets enough credit for this, is his tactical awareness is just superb. He, yeah. he, he makes changes in games that really, really matter, and um, I can't sing his praises highly enough. It, 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 obviously, an inspired acquisition to get him in the first instance but I think we're really seeing the difference between um, a real master of, of his craft and, and a journeyman and we've had too many journeymen sitting uh, in the manager's seat or people that just frankly shouldn't have been there um, it really makes a difference to see a fantastic manager doing this job
1: yeah, completely agree and, I, and I, am, I am conscious of time here so um, I mean that, that's the end of my questions Terry I don't know if you've got anything else you'd like to add no, no closing statements. Um, I completely agree with everything
3: Paul said about Ancelotti. I can't say enough nice things about him. He's, uh, he's
1: something we need to you know build around, basically, like take advantage of. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, kind of kind of, just in summary, finance is not surprising. We're, we're still spending more than, than we seem to have without machinery Bank rolling us. But we can definitely lock up. We have a very strong squad. We've got an absolutely brilliant manager that's hopefully going to lead us to European football at the end of the season and then... In the next couple of years, hopefully, the uh, the AGMs are less less propaganda and more just, you know, talking about how brilliantly the club's doing both financially and on the pitch. So that does bring us to the end.
0: Welcome to the Toffee Blues, your source for all things Everton, and welcome to a match preview ahead of our FA Cup fourth round game at Goodison on Sunday against Sheffield Wednesday. I'm joined by Paul McAllister, of course, and David from the County Roll Bobblers. Warm welcome again, David. How are you
5: doing, mate? Good, thanks. Yeah, considering uh, it's boring at the moment, isn't it? But uh, getting through, uh, waiting to be back at the ground. But hopefully, it's uh, sooner rather than later.
0: Uh, We're we'll waiting to wait and see, but it'd be nice to not have a couple of games and not
5: postponed. That would be really good. From the uh, no, it's frustrating, isn't it? You know, especially when you're in a rich vein of form as we've been in as a side. You know, you're you get the eyes on it,
0: don't you?
5: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so you don't want to be sitting around waiting all weekend for us to play again.
0: But, um, of course, with that in mind, we've come off the back of a win against Waldorf yeah, over a week ago now. But we go into this game and, you know, decent form, we're up against the side. Sheffield Wednesday are in the bottom three in the
5: championship. Are you confident, David? You've got to be, haven't you? You know, you don't deserve to be in the competition if you if you if you if you get a goal against a championship side, um, you know it's always a you know you've always got to dig in in these games, uh, these sides. It's a big game for them and it's a chance for them to try and recapture something in the season, uh, maybe maybe galvanise them a bit. But you look at their side, there's nothing to write home about. like Barry Bannon, I think plays midfield. Uh, you know the, the, there's not a lot of talent knocking around there. You know you you'd like to feel like we 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 can afford to maybe rest a few players. Um, while still keeping a strong side, I um, believe we don't want to be in a position uh, where we're chasing the game again um, towards the end of the game, like we did in the last leg. Um, and I do believe we did that because we rested some key players like Deku, right? So you need to keep an semblance of the important players in the team uh, and make sure that you know that balance. You get that right at the at, at, you know the starting eleven.
0: I mean, Paul. What, what, what's your take on that? How many changes would you, would you like to see like swapped in from the usual first team?
6: If everybody was fit, I'd like to see us go full strength because I, I can't be having another performance like the one we saw against Rotherham. It was far too close for comfort and some players came in and just didn't perform and quite frankly don't deserve another go in the side again this early.
0: I, I agree with that, I'll be honest. But... Oh. I have to agree wholeheartedly. I was saying to actually just before we started rolling to David that I don't think some of these players are motivated enough. Some of these their B side players, the the ones who are sitting on the bench. I don't think some of these some of them have the desire to come on and put the effort in for this club. And I think these players need to be sold sooner rather than later. I think Tosin. Yeah, it- is, uh, Tosin's obviously one of the ones that always gets thrown around. But I think for me, the one that really disappoints me is Bernard. I think he's absolutely washed up now at Everton.
6: Yeah, I've never been a big fan of Bernard particularly. I mean, I don't think he's a terrible player. I just, I don't think he's this sort of... When we were first bringing him in two years ago, during that summer where he left Shakhtar Donetsk, I'm gonna admit I didn't know a lot about him, but the way a lot of people were speaking about him is in—he was this former Brazil international, and he played in the Champions League, and he's had some good showings. And you go and do that classic look him up on YouTube, don't you? Where he looks an absolute baller. So I thought we were going to bring in this, you know, little mini David Silva type player, this absolute little wizard. Who as soon as he got himself, as soon as he got himself fully fit and firing, then he could probably be one of our players of the season. And I've just he's not delivered at any point. I know we didn't get him um, for a fee. We got him on a free. So that helps the sting a little bit. But I class his tenure at Everton so far as very underwhelming. And I'm at the point now where I'd be more than happy to see the back of him. And I don't think he should be trusted in these games where, OK, we don't want to play our first team players if we can help it. But we can't trust putting too many B players in because they just won't deliver because they haven't in the past. And, he's one of them who falls into that category Is it? I don't dislike him he's not one of these players who's top of my list to get out there's other players who I want to see shipped out first but I just don't think he's got much use to the squad at all and if we're not going to play our first choice left midfielder I'd rather see Anthony Gordon giving another go than Bernard because even if Gordon comes in and doesn't really impress at least he's getting precious minutes under his belts and he's getting experience and, he, and, and
0: no matter what Gordon worked hard
6: yeah Gordon will work harder and he's gonna. Gordon will grow from playing in these games, he will get better whereas Bernard, I think we've seen all we need to see of him now, Bernard's, now
0: what he is. At Bernard's at his peak if not he's on his way down I think so
6: It's you know, on paper you should think a player like Bernard will be having his way with the likes of um, a bottom half championship team but as I mentioned <clears> earlier <throat> on he's had games where he's come in against so-called lesser opposition and he's not done the business for me so I don't think he's got any room to complain if he doesn't play at all. And Angelotti, I think, has made his mind up on him. Uh, clearly, Angelotti doesn't hang his hat on him in the sense that he's going to keep him around for the big, the long-term project. I think Bernard is on his way out. And if it's this month, then I think no one will be sad to
0: see it happen. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if we hear the rumours are true about the um, potential move to Al Nasser in uh, Saudi Arabia for, you know, we're talking like, Nine million, ten million, I think, for a free transfer and to get rid of those wages. Um, Someone we sign for free and then get them wages off our books. I think that's excellent business. I don't see that happening myself personally.
6: Whenever you get these links from these oil rich countries with no mark leagues, they always sound a bit fishy to me. I think that smells of an agent trying to generate some interest in just to get his name out there in the hope that someone comes in. If, and even if it is real, I mean, I've just said a minute ago, I don't think Bernard's a mercenary or anything like that. I don't think he'd be happy to just go and have an early retirement in one of these no-mark leagues. I think he'd much prefer to go and play in somewhere like Roma, if that interest's real. So, I, I, I don't see Bernard going to whatever they're called, the Qatari team. Saudi Arabian, Arabian yeah. I think. Arabian, yeah. I mean, mm. if, if the interest is real, then yeah, good. Like, I'll, I'll drive him to the airport, but I don't see that, and I don't think anyone should hold the breath. But just going back to the game, um, I don't want to see too many changes. If Calvert-Lewin's fit, I'd play Calvert-Lewin. If Charlison's fit, I'd play him for a full 90. Decore is obviously going to play because he's banned um, for the midweek game, so you might as well play him to keep him sharp. And he will make a massive difference because I think he was the player we missed the most against Robinham. So just play the team that will get this game won inside the first half, and then if you want to switch players out then. Yeah,
0: if, then. if the reserves go after the break, if we are winning. Yeah.
5: I think I think that's the key there. You know, when you talk when I was mentioned before about making a few changes, the only ones that I'd really make a change of, I like to keep the spine the same in these games. You know, you want a solid spine. Um so I'd like to see Big McKean obviously play, you know, he's our, our kind of rock at the moment, isn't he? Uh, the kegger man, as he's been coined on that song the other day. Uh, you know, I think we can afford to play Olsen. He's, you know, steady Eddie in goal. You know, had a really good performance. He's one that maybe he could bring in. I'd like to see Godfrey maybe brought in rather than Mina just for this game. He's played at that level. You know, he knows the league a bit better. Um, you know, um, obviously Dine is getting back to, to, to full pace, so I'll probably play him again, give, give him another 90 minutes under his belts. Coleman still needs a bit of fitness, so I'll bring Coleman back in maybe again. Um, I think Dukes needs, needs to play, you know, he, obviously, as you say, the suspension's coming up. Um, you know, we should have plenty of time on the ball. Gomez, I'm not a massive fan of, but, you know, we should have a lot of time on the ball, so I'd probably go with Gomez there. Um, I, and I like to, you know, Gylfi seems, seems as shirming to play there, as, you know, i been as big a critic at times, but, you know, it's a game that really, you know, he should get a few chances there. Um, and like you say there, I'd, I'd actually go slightly different. I'd go with Richarlison up front. I just think he needs a goal at the moment. Um, He's one of them uh, players that you know. When it goes, you know, I still feel as though there's going to be a a run of form for him where he's going to go, you know, six or seven games and score seven or eight goals. You know, you know, he hasn't really had that patch this this so far this season, and you know, with injuries and suspensions, everything's gone against him. So yeah, if Calvert lewins fit, yeah, I'd probably put him on the bench and put give him the last half an hour. Um, But I play with Charleston as a number nine, get him through the centre. Um, and let's try and get him a couple of goals. So he's firing again into form. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be looking at playing in Shenk Tosin. Um He makes uh, you know Prime James Beattie look like Usain Bolt at times. You know he just can't can't run. And some of the moments in that last game, you know, we were playing the ball long from our you know um, from our half, trying to trying to get on the attack, and he was offside. Um, you know, and you're thinking what else you've got to do? You just keep all, the only thing you've got to do at the moment is watch the line and be ready for a ball coming towards you. And he was offside I think, twice. In, in, you know, consecutive row, and I was thinking, you know, what are you actually doing? Obviously, he got the goal, um, and it was a great bit of invention by Anthony Gordon, a gracious play, um, but, you know, part that, he just really didn't do anything at all. You know, his miraculous hair was the only talking point for me that seems to grow back every game. Um but yeah, on the Bernard points, fully, fully agree. I was a, a bit of a Bernard fan when he came. You know, he works hard and all that kind of stuff. But the products were just not getting. It. He's not got. He's not scoring goals. He's not getting assists. Um And at the end of the day, if you're playing. If we want to push on, you need. You know, you need. He needs to be chipping in with them, and you just can't see that happening for us. So I think it's right time to really move them on. Uh, 18 months left on his contract as well. So
6: definitely problem with Tosin is, we've seen now, that even when he plays in a cup game against a lower league side, he just can't lead the line on his own, he can't English, not in English football, even championship level defenders are just too big and too strong for him, and the market amount of games, I know he, he did well to get that chip goal early on against Rotherham, but other than that, and other than that goal that he had took off him later on he wasn't in the proceedings at all, what did he do between whatever minute it was that he scored the chip, and then five minutes from the end when he got on the end of Aleda from Rodriguez. It's like he wasn't even there. Lost the ball, mainly. Yeah, it's like having a statue up front. He's just, he's in the wrong country, he's <laughs> in the wrong team, but he's in the wrong type of league anyway. He's just not going to thrive here. And he probably wouldn't thrive even lower down the table if he joined, went back to Palace or he went to a Brighton. He'd do better than he's doing here. He'd probably get six, seven, eight goals, but... That's not to write on about, really, when you're an international-level striker who's going to tournaments, which is what he wants to be. So, Tosin... now has been to the Euros
0: before, you know.
6: Yeah, yeah. And he was meant to, He was one of the big reasons that he went to Palace on loan last season was to get himself um, playing regular football ahead of the Euros. So, Tosin, whether you, wherever you think of him, he has a bit of a reputation on the continent. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. he's just he's not good enough to lead the line in English football, even when you play him against... Poor opposition like a bottom half championship sides because he's had enough opportunities now and he just doesn't take his moments. It might sound like I'm being harsh because he did score against Rotherham, but his overall performance when you added it all up just didn't account to much at all. So I want to see our best striker up front because I just want to get goals in this game. And if you play DCL and Richarlison, um, then I think you guarantee that will put two or three past Sheffield surely.
0: Yeah, I think the, the first team was very good. Um is there any way that Sheffield Wednesday could hurt us?
5: I, I watched um I put myself through the pain of watching um the extended highlights before on the uh, the derby game, out of curiosity, you know, and um they look a very disjointed side. Um they've got a really big lad up front. Uh I think he, he's a Scottish international. Uh, name doesn't spring to mind. Gordon uh, Rhodes. Uh, Paterson. Patterson, yeah, and I think he's got four goals in 20 games. Seems one of these, you know, a bit of a goal. Mouth striker. you know, where if something drops, he'll put it in with his knee or his shin. Um, you know, there was a lad on the wing that seemed pretty tricky on the left wing, and when I say tricky, you know, for that level, uh, and bar that, he just had not. And Barry Bannon was the, the fellow pulling the strings in the middle, and that says it all, really. Um, you know, a bit of a journeyman um, uh, kind of play, making him in midfield, isn't he? So, uh, one thing I did notice is that, that Bannon on the set pieces seem to be a highlight for them. You know, Every time they've got a set piece, it seems to be something they're relying on. Um, so we're pretty good at set pieces. Um, so that, that's a positive. Uh, but we just don't want to be in a position where we give them you know, a chance. Uh, we want to put two or three goals past them quite soon off and just kill them off altogether. Uh, they seem very vulnerable as well. A couple of games I watched of them earlier on, uh, on crosses and balls into the box. Um, so it would be nice to see us get bodies into that box and really cause them issues uh, and like, like I say, let, let's let just go out there and try to score two or three goals in that first half hour and uh, like Paul said before then we can uh, you know we can maybe rest a few towards the end of the game when it's, it's dead and buried Yes, definitely
0: yes. the right strategy
6: to see Is Callum Patterson that big lump with the moustache who Mia Warnock yeah, just dubbed up front for Cardiff?
5: Yeah, he's got a terrible mustache. If he scores against us, I'm going to be furious. Yeah, he used to be. He used to be a. <laughs> defender, oh my
0: god, he... the state of that!
5: Yeah, <laughs> do <you> not remember. <laughs> him, James? Oh
0: my god, it actually looked like the the picture of a young Galahad when he was still playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he was playing for Cardiff
6: in the Premier League a couple of years ago, and I think he used to be a defender in his early years. Yeah, as you your centre-mid. But I know he's a big unit of a fella and Cardiff were just that desperate for goals that season because they were fighting relegation. They just shoved him up front and just literally went route one and hoped that they could get a lucky bounce. That's just an honest footballer. So we, I think by the signs that we know what Sheffield's best hope is. They're just going to come. They're going to be physical. They're going to try and outman us and outwork us for it. And if the attitude's like it was against Rotherham, then there's a good chance that they might get success with that because if they just throw the ball up field and a couple of players at the back, Mina springs to mind, or maybe Paul Gates, if one of them just has a loss of concentration for a second, then a lucky ball could drop for them and they could stick it away. And the last thing you want is for these to score, especially in the first half, when maybe they take the lead or the equalise, like Rotherham did, and then everyone just kind of gets a bit nervy, thinking, oh, that wasn't in the script. And... I just can't be having that happen. So as long as everyone is concentrating and everyone tightens up and they drill the
0: set pieces in the days beforehand, then there shouldn't be too much of a problem, really. I think that's the one thing I think Takore has to play to. We need players who will fight in the midfield, and I think Takore will do that. Tom Davis will, but is he physical enough? I don't know. But other players like Gomez and that, I'm not sure if they've got the stomach for the fight. Gomez is stronger on the ball than Davis, isn't he? He doesn't move the
6: ball as fast as Davis does, but he, he is better at protecting it and using his body strength. Um, so I, I'd probably play him over Davis. I think Davis was a better fit against Rotherham. I know he didn't play well on the day, but in a, a team like that that were just swarming all over us, having a player like Davis who'd get the ball and move it quickly was probably a better idea to have, whereas a team like Sheffield, who are probably just going to fancy a bit of a physical fight, then I think having Gomez and Tecora would probably be a better option because they can both look after themselves.
0: Yeah. And um, that in mind, the, the front four, you, you can see there then tickets in as the 10? It will be him, but I wouldn't put him there
6: personally. I'd, I'd like us to just go four three three and play um, Richard Charleston on the left, be on the right, and Calvert-Lewin as, um, through the middle because that's our most informed attacking three at the moment. But, Sigurdsson's going to play. You know, he will. He'll play, he'll play as a number 10 behind whoever's up front. Um, Anthony Gordon, I think, will probably. Play, it'll be Gordon or Bernard, I think. It, one of them will get in. They'll play on the left and on the right. It might be Richardson. It might be a Wolby. You don't know, do you? But Depends I, who gets the, like, the
0: nod up front. I'd like to see Richie get the yeah. nod up front. I don't really
6: want to see Tottenham from the start. No, no, I don't want to see 4 2 3 1. I just I hate that formation. And <laughs> if you're going to play. If you're going to play 4-4-2, four, four, then maybe there's an argument to put Tolson in there. But if you're going to play 4-3-3 three, three, or 4-2-3-1, do not play with Tolson, please, because he just can't lead the line, no matter who's behind him. There you go. So we'll leave
0: it at that anyway. Uh, predictions, guys, David?
5: I just think we'll, we'll go We'll we'll, um, we'll go heavy on them quite early doors. I'm going uh, 4-0-11. I think it's Oof. going to be a convincing one. Um, no. I think we bury them first half an hour, two three goals, and then a bit of a, a total one at the end uh, just to round it off.
0: Um, Paul?
6: Uh, I think it will be similar to what we saw of did Salford earlier on the season. I'll go for a 3-0. Um, I don't see them scoring. I think we'll maybe get one or two in the first half. That will settle everybody. Then the game will just kind of go into a lull for 20 minutes, either side of half-time, and then maybe we'll catch them out again, carve them open in the latter half of the game. So I'll go for a 3-0.
0: Uh, I said I did the opposition view with a uh, Danford from Wednesday week. Uh, yesterday, and I uh, predicted a two-one win. I thought I think this isn't going to be anywhere near as easy as people are making it out to be. I think we're we're gonna it'll be a slog, and but I think we'll do it. Well,
6: you know more about them than I do. I when I told you on that video when we drew them out the hat that they're they're not a team that I keep an eye on. Particularly, all I know about them is that. They've parted ways with Tony Pulis. And if they still had Pulis there, then I would be a lot more concerned because you know that they will just be really organised and tough to break down. But who's in charge there now? Have they got a permanent Neil, manager? Neil a Thompson. He's a, he's a caretaker manager. Uh, Neil um The name doesn't ring a bell. I don't really know anything about him. But is he officially a caretaker? He's not, like, the permanent guy? I have no idea, to be honest. But
5: yeah. yeah, no, is he? He is the caretaker at the moment, so I think uh, looked at the favourites, the managers before there was the the fellow who got the Serbian fellow who got sacked by Woffers was the uh, main the, uh, That's the one. And, is he uh, the one who? Yeah, the fellow who
6: fell out with
5: Deeney. Uh, yes, yeah, so, uh, one, yeah, yeah. The one yeah. who bench Deeney. He's the uh, the favourite, and Paul Cook, the second favourite, cookie there as well. Um, so um, yeah, no, they, they haven't had anyone in yet, but they, I think they are still expecting to point some more.
6: Well, that helps, because I think if there's a caretaker there, then a caretaker's only comes in to manage a team just to get results in the league, doesn't he? These caretakers very rarely put any stock in the Cups because they're not going to get any credit for it if they win because someone else is going to come in and take the job in the next week or two anyway.
0: That's so, an interesting take, actually, Paul. Let's, let's yeah, hope that's the
6: case. I hope so, because usually when there's a new permanent manager there and the expectation is is that he's, he's got his feet under the desk and that he's going to... Um, actually build something, then I think everyone kind of perks up a little bit, whereas when the caretaker's just there, it just kind of feels like take one day at a time, one game at a time if we lose in a cup, then it's not the end of the world because it's not what we're all concentrating on we're all just waiting for the new manager to come in and whip us into shape in the league
0: Yeah, well, we'll leave it at that oh. anyway and let's hope for a let's hope it's a bit more of Davis and Paul's position than it is mine but... But for you podcast listeners, of course, it's time for the classic quiz. Paul and David are going to go head-to-head in a classic Day Squad quiz. And David, since it's you returning to the channel after a, a, a brief absence, um, shall we say, I'll let you do the coin toss. Uh, do you want to go heads or tails? Tails. Tails for David. And it's heads.
5: Yeah. Uh, so, Paul,
0: you get to pick. Do you want to go first or second, Paul, on this one? Um, I'll go first please going first okay Paul you're up first and it's time to reveal the fixture in question let's cue the intense quiz music it's a very intense quiz music for a not not a very intense game I'll be honest uh, I we're going back.
6: I hate these I if this is a Moise
0: era one then I've lost the... we're going back <laughs> to a very to Paul's favourite time the Roberto Martinez era for this one
6: Okay m- maybe uh, I have blocked out a lot of that but not as much as the latter half more years.
0: Well the question is Paul did you block out Krasnodar 1 Everton 1 Europa League 2nd of October 2014?
6: No I actually remember that. Um I went round to Terry's house. Well, his house he was living in a flat at the time. I went because it was a crazy kickoff, like half past 5 6, six o'clock wasn't yeah, it? Yeah I was
0: I just got out of uni I think.
6: Yeah, it was because of Russian time. Um, it was a sort of kickoff around tea time. So I remember finishing from work and getting over to Terry's flat to watch it with him. And we
0: wore white with purple shorts, didn't we? Indeed. So this is a very good. Uh, you're really painting a very good picture of this. So if you can paint, <laughs> if you can paint half as good a team, he might have this one, mate. I, I think he's oh, won Paul. it already, personally. I'm off me, so go on. Uh, go. go on, Paul. Who are you going to go for first? Oh, who played?
6: Yep. Right. Um, okay, I got I got it wrong on my first guess last time. So. <laughs> um, now I remember this specifically because he had an argument one of their main players, and I remember just laughing, thinking, "Who is he?" Squaring up to one of our players,
0: John Stones. Yeah, John Stones was a starter. Played the
5: full game. Nah. I've, you see, I always I, I, I I've literally got like, this is white from my head, so I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, Romelu Lukaku just to try and go someone now. know
0: yeah Romelu Lukaku was actually a, a used substitute he came on at half time but yeah Lukaku did feature so it's any, any, of course it's any starter or used substitute who took part in this game so yeah Lukaku also took part Paul
6: um, the man who scored the late equaliser the one and only Samuel Leto.
0: Indeed, Samuel the, the only one scored.
5: What was that, David? You signed Lambus, we signed Samueletto. <laughs> oh
0: God,
6: yeah. That was just I, was was that his first goal? For no, he scored in, on his debut against Chelsea, but we got beat six to oh, so lead oh,
3: yeah.
6: yeah, oh yeah, he came on but and then scored like immediately, didn't he? Like a consolation.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh so Yeah.
6: Oh, Who's Tell just me
5: before
0: the date you... to... Go on. So
6: I, sorry, I was going to just going to point out an interesting tidbit. I think I might be right. Is that the last time Samuel Etu scored in a European competition? May will have been, I don't know. But a legend scored in Champions League finals and things like that. I came to the Europa League. That goal was and equalizer against Krasnodar. Yeah, he, he left in the January not long after, and I don't think he's kinda of went down after everything. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting
0: bit of trivia after us yeah
6: so I think that's an interesting bit of trivia that I'll, have to, go on, I'll not... have to
0: go and uh, channel me in a geek again and go look into that but uh, <laughs> okay. that's for another day. uh David so- sorry
5: David. <laughs> that's alright erm um, I'm trying to think of the only. I'm just going to, have to because i remember, I'm just going to, have to go for the one with the known that you know that probably wasn't played. So I'm going to go for Ross. Uh, Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley.
0: Ross Barkley didn't play.
5: Oh, that's, <laughs> no, I told that, you remember this.
0: He was injured and um, start that season, wasn't he, for the first few months?
4: Yeah,
5: he
0: has a bit of trouble, but um, yeah, that means of course Paul wins the quiz. But we'll still go on anyway. We'll. Um, I'll I'll tell you now though that just to save you a bit of time that La who was the only used substitute. Um Martinez didn't make any more subs, so you've only got starters to go from and of course you've already got John Stones um, and Samuel Leto to who you've already reeled off the night to go. Aiden McGee. Yeah, Aiden McGee played the full game, God, God knows how. Oh Stephen Na Stephen Naismith. With E, instead of nah, Steve, Steve Naismith never come off the bench. He was an unused sub.
5: So it sounds like he's rotated this a bit as well. So yeah, uh, are we just trying to Is Garbutt still there then? Um, he was
0: there, but he's not in the squad at all.
5: Well, Galloway could be one of maybe one of the suits. No, no, Galloway. Yeah.
0: Um, Bessage?
6: That was the song <laughs> we signed Besic, wasn't it? Yeah, Bessage was unused as well. He was an unused sub.
5: I saw my sequel well off of this, aren't we? Um, Gareth got,
6: got, got body. Yeah, Gareth body.
0: played the full game. McCarthy? No, no McCarthy. Wasn't even on the bench.
5: Was T. Cleves oh,
0: there? Man. T. Cleves wasn't there till next season <laughs> after this. But no, he, no. he wasn't there. Who's our centre-half of? Tim Howard in goal? Howard's was between the sticks, yeah. Is Distan
5: still there? No Distan. I, I just might as give up here, mightn't
0: Stones and Jagielka Elko,
6: was it? Yeah, Jagielka was the other centre-back. Yeah, Alcaraz had been bins off, hadn't he? Al- uh, Al- Alcaraz them.
0: was there, but he was on the Oh, bench.
6: yeah. Al- Alcaraz went to
0: after that game yeah, in Kiev, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. see, the that's the part of I had left out, yeah. I didn't like the fact <laughs> I had to bring that up. To be honest, I hate that game. When Stones yeah, was on
5: the bench as well, Stones is on the bench as well. Back fit, wasn't he for that game? And he he wouldn't. No stones. No, him.
0: Stones was sent off in the game in the previous rounds, um, and then young boys. Against yeah, you young boys, yeah, yeah, he was sent off in the young boys game, and he, Martinez had had a feud with distance, so we wouldn't like pick him. Had, it actually <laughs> so yeah, in a. I remember mate. Yeah.
5: I remember Peter Reid saying at half-time because he was in the panel, wasn't he? And he was saying, like, if it was up to him, he'd pull him off and he just left Yeah,
6: him. I remember just... specifically he said, if I was him, Martínez, I'd tell Alcaraz because he'd been awful um, in the first half. You go out and you win the first header or you're coming off immediately and you're never playing again. Yeah, Martínez that's was martinez
0: when he? Martínez most certainly was Martínez. Um, and Martínez picked this team. You've got two more...
5: How many more have we got? One, well, two, three, four. If we've come with all five the left it got, It's got to be Baines then, surely? Galloway, yeah, it, it Garms, was Leighton like, Baines, Baines
6: yeah. at left-back. Yeah, obviously. He oh, wasn't back from his broken leg yet, was he? No, um, no. So four more. Who, who four else? more. Uh, who, so we had McGee, he was on the wing. Who was the other winger? Sheamus. Is Sheamus there? Sheamus play? No, Sheamus.
0: Sheamus, Sheamus.
5: Sheamus
0: wasn't in the squad at all. Morales.
5: No Morales in the squad, I so. saw. Oh. Christ nice, almighty. Who was our backup right back for uh, Coleman? I'm trying to think on now.
6: Tony Hibbert. It was Tony Hibbert.
5: Is he still there then, Hibbert. Him Under Martial. Yeah, my memory's awful at times.
6: Yeah, Tony Hibbert. So, what's that two more we need now? Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and, no,
6: three more, three more. Uh, there's the... The left winger, because McGeady would have been on the right, and there's the centre midfielder with Barry, isn't there?
0: Well, they are. here's the interesting thing. The, cent- the two centre mids with Barry wouldn't be who you think they were, and McGeady was on the left. So, it was somebody else coming off the right. Jesus. Um,
5: Very much sounds like a Martinez side, this, doesn't it?
6: It's like a Coleman side, right? Um, <laughs> oh, I- I'm trying to think, who else did we have on the wing during that time? I know we had, um, I thought it was Morales, who we shocked he wasn't there. I know he played against Wolfsburg and scored. Um, no, was Darren Gibson?
0: Darren right? Gibson did play. He was the did leader. he? Darren Gibson managed a full 90 minutes in this game. My God. Yes. Onside Gareth Barry in the middle. So you've got the Betty.
6: number 10 and the right wing to get. He brought home a lot of Russian vodka. Yeah.
0: Um,
5: did Jerry play? through the play? Well,
6: no, don't, that... don't think he was there. That was the year he went to Sevilla, I
5: think. Is that the year he went there, was it? Who? Yeah.
6: That was the year... Jerry was with us in his first season. Then he went back to Barcelona. Um, and then Barcelona loans him back out to Sevilla, but he didn't really do much. And then we brought him back because Barcelona didn't want him and they couldn't sell him to anyone else. So, Yeah.
0: Well... It, was, it wasn't it wasn't Delafeu. There was a player we had in between Delafeu, the two Delafeu teams. I thought it was McGeady. Uh, very, very
5: even more forgettable than McGeady. River dance with Aid McGready. Um,
6: Can you give we, us a clue? What's his nationality? Our name Oh uh, that lad to- at Newcastle. Yeah, you see that too, yeah. That's, yeah. that's- <laughs> yeah. At- <laughs> too funny. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then um, one more to get, lads. One more to get.
5: My god,
0: the number 10 in Barclay's absence. So he wasn't
5: there, wasn't
0: A-Smith, then?
5: Wouldn't have been Kone because he was wasn't Kone King
0: what else? What of it? Was this a player that Martin has signed or was he already there? He was already there. Very much already there. Osman. Yeah, it was Leon Osman. 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 Leon Osman played in the number 10.
5: That should be in the first name, shouldn't it? Into the air. Into the side there.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so there's your team. It was Tim Howard, Tony but John Stones, Phil Jagielka, Leighton Baines, Darren Gibson, Darren Barry, Leon Osman, Aiden McGee, Christian Aftu and Samuel Leto, and LeCartre, who was the only substitute that came on. The other subs were Joel Robles, Brian Oviedo, Lecarhu, the huge sub, Steve Naismith, Mo Besic, Tyus Browning, and your best mate, Antolin Alcaraz. But there you go, Paul. You won the quiz. You get to pick a song to see us out. What are you going to go with? And no, no uh, soap opera, no soap, no soap opera theme tunes.
6: No. Um, <laughs> Because I'm quite hopeful um, that we're going to do well in this cup competition, and I'm just hopeful in general that we've got Carlo Ancelotti as manager and that Donald Trump's not the president anymore, I'll go with um, Frank Sinatra, High Hopes.
0: Good one. Very good one. There you have it. High Hopes for the upcoming games and hopefully for the rest of the season. And we'll be seeing off this show with High Hopes by Frank Sinatra, courtesy of Paul's decisions. And of course, Bob and the quiz. And of course, thank you guys for tuning in on the Toffee Blues. blues A a great thanks as well to um, David for coming on from County Road Bobbles. Definitely give them a follow because they're botched. Definitely check them out. And of course, until next time, thank you guys for tuning in on the Toffee Blues and see you
4: there. instead of letting go, just remember that ant Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant Oops, was a silly old ram thought he'd punch a hole in a dam no one could make that ram scram he kept button that dam cause he had high hopes he had high hopes he had high apple high in the sky so anytime you're feeling bad, instead of feeling sad, just remember that Ram. Whoops! There goes a billion kilowatt. Whoops! There goes a billion kilowatt. Whoops! There goes a billion kilowatt. Damn. Oops there goes another problem curve. Oops, there goes another problem curve. Oops, there goes another problem curve.